Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from Hurricane Helen Who is said to have a face that licked a thousand stamps this is the award-winning Stamp Show here today, episode number 311, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Becca. And an update on our uh, inflation conversation, I had a discussion with a very well-known stamp dealer who wanted to remain anonymous, although I don't know why. Shout out to you. You know who you are. Um, he was dealing during the last uh, bull market, let's call it, or whatever, bubble or whatever. And as a matter of fact, as a bubble, we're going to discuss the tulip bubble and go through the various steps. But it's his opinion that we're in a different market because of the political divisions that are involved. And I'm, I was thinking about it and it's like, it doesn't that, you know, my economist hat doesn't allow me to uh, get too much into the politics side, but he does have sort of a point in that there is going to be a group of po political followers that is either going to be for inflation or against inflation. And it's sort of going to be like, and I hate to bring up the T word, but if Trump, they can pin the inflation on Trump, then they're going to be a lot of media coverage on it and stuff like that. And then it'll exasperate or they're going to say that the inflation is caused by Biden and then it's going to get downplayed by a certain segment of the community. And so that might have some impact on it. But like I said in the last podcast, the inflation we're looking at today is not from Trump or Biden. The inflation we're looking at today is from many years ago. If you want to pin it on somebody, you can pin it on Barack Obama. But realistically, it's just from congressional spending from that era. And because our interest rates were at zero, we're just feeling it today. They, they delayed it because inflation usually takes a couple years to come. This time it took like five or six years because we were at zero in interest rates. So a little bit of a political side there. Anybody have any comments on that? Uh, it, yeah, I'm not sure that um, market forces are going to be swayed by political division because I think money is the common denominator 
you know, everybody wants to make money regardless of, of your political stance. I totally agree with that. And I hate bringing up politics on a stamp show, but this is something that a stamp dealer brought up about the stamp market in relation to inflation that, you know, is this the same market as the 1970s or it is, is it a different market? I, I would agree with that dealer in that um, the, um, the, the reporting on it will differ depending on the, on the political winds, but the reality of it is here. Um, everybody can see the price of gas, everybody can see the price of, of building materials, everybody can see the price of the food in the supermarket going up. So, you know, regardless of whether it's reported or not, people know it's happening. Yeah. Might be an interesting thing. Anyway, uh, one thing that he did bring up was that the way to tell when this is going on is to look at the buy ads and the sell ads in Linz. That'll be a big um, indicator of what's going on. So you're saying if you're, if you're starting to see buy ads of common material for prices that are unusual, that that's a, that's a red flag? Um, he didn't say that, but it basically it'll be an indicator of when the stamp market is moving. I mean, Albert, you were, I hate to say you're a little bit older than all of us, but you are. <laughs> what, did, when this happened before, what happened with the buy and the sell ads? Well, there were, a lot of, there were a lot of different buy and sell ads for things that are now basically face value. There were lots of buy and sell ads for C-tenant blocks and for... Um, Things like 1050 for like the $5 Hamilton uh, play blocks and uh, 834, 1938 $5 play blocks. And, uh, um, but what most, but most, but what they were actually buying when you sent something back there, they were all, they were buying this, they were buying the stamps that you and I would all buy. And a lot of the other stuff, they would send it back to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got a buy offer from a very, very large stamp dealer because I got, as we discussed, I got some of the droid imperf uh, book, uh, sheets. And the person offered me literally about a third of what I could sell it for myself on eBay. And so obviously I passed, but that's sort of a buy price, sell price sort of thing. And uh, everybody is going to be looking for cheaper prices for stuff. I'm just kind of wondering what stuff are they going to be looking at? What's, go what's going to be glommed on by the uh, in investor collectors that uh, joined the market? Well, when we had Mark Easter here last, uh, last week, we, he talked about uh, some, of the, some of the modern high values like that, Beth like that Bethesda um, um, fountain stamp. Express mail stamp. Yep, which I am looking at very, very uh, <laughs> directly. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, uh, I asked Mark, who has a stock of it. Mark publishes a stock list of everything uh, that he has, and he, he he stocks all the way to the to the present present time. And he says that he said that a dealer that he that deals with him went and bought all the all, all the stamps all those stamps. What about six months ago? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So they uh, yeah, so uh, I wanted to go over the tulip bubble because 
one of the big criticisms on the internet is everything is either a tulip bubble or a Ponzi scheme. And most of the people who post this don't know what the tulip bubble is or what a Ponzi scheme is. It's just a catch-all sort of thing that, oh yeah, this is not the way for stamps to operate. So I wanted to go over real quick the tulip bubble. We actually went over the Ponzi scheme a while ago because the Ponzi scheme directly was affected by stamps. You know, it was a, the Ponzi scheme was based on stamp reply cards being purchased and moved around to different countries. Um, so the two, so you can listen to the prior podcast on that. But the tulip bubble, it started in 1634, and it went on for three years. Now, the stamp bubble, and uh, I use my fingers, finger quotes, bubble of the 1970s, that lasted almost two decades, and definitely one decade. So uh, there are certain things, and I'll tell you my opinion of where we are and uh, just go through the uh, chart. Well, tulip bulbs, first of all, on this graph, and you can pull it up, it's tulip mania, if you want to fact check me on the graphing. Um, they started at 30 florins for whatever unit of measure they're doing. And this was not a bulb, this was a basket of bulbs, probably. And so in 1634, it started to take off. And then in 1635, a year later, it had doubled in price. And then there was a sell-off. Then, after that, though, it started taking off again because of media attention. People started reporting on all the money that people have, had made on these tulip bubbles. And once the media was on board, and again, this is the 1600s, once the media was on board, it generated a whole bunch of enthusiasm, and the price of tulips went up uh, three times more. And they went through... Uh, what they call the enthusiasm, then the greed, then the delusion phase. And then it started to have a sell-off. Well, the sell-off occurred a year after the media attention. So they had a year of rise, and then over the next six months, it went just crashing down below where it had started, and that's one of the important things. It had gone up from 30 florins to 200 florins. So about nine times more. Then it crashed down to 20 florins. And then it bounced back again because when everybody sold off, they were selling off in a glut. It bounced back to 60 florins. So at the end of the tulip bubble crisis, or the tulip bubble progression it had gone up nine times then crashed down so that it went below one-third of what it was then it rebounded again and went up to double what it was at the start so over three years it had doubled but you had this massive up and down in between and realistically that's exactly what happened with the stamp market 
You had stamps going way up. Then they came to a a depressed price. And then they came back up again. And like I said with uh, Zeppelin stamps, the Zeppelins followed this exact same thing. But in the end, they were worth more at the end of the 1985 era. They were worth more. They had increased in value. They just hadn't, you know, they had a big rise up, big fall, but they were still up. Hopefully you weren't in, in them at the top, which was $12,500. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's definitely times when you should buy, times when you should sell. But like I said, over the tulip bubble crisis, this all happened in three years. I suspect that the if there is a bubble like there was in the 1970s, this will occur with stamps, but it won't be over three years. It'll be over five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. And would you say that that, that that expanded length is because it did not gather media attention? I think it, no, I think it's because of the media attention. I think that, first of all, inflation is different than greed. And inflation comes over a number of years. It doesn't appear quickly at all. Not at all does it appear quickly. Whereas the tulip mania was really a mania. But it has very, very close ties to how everything flows. Well, in the 70s, you had people that were not normal collectors going to the post office and buying sheets of stamps because they had uh, heard and seen data that showed that stamps, you know, op, you know, continuously increased in price. And actually, that started in the 40s and the 50s. So, um, so as a way to protect their the value of their of their uh, money, you know, they would invest in stamps, not knowing, you know, or, or being novice collectors, and and so they would buy legitimate postage from the post office that had value. Um, there were some that were buying um, from unscrupulous dealers, like Zep sets that were regummed yes. to make them uh, look never hinged. Um, you know, you had some of that happening. As but a matter of fact, just on that, people talk about like reperfing and regumming. The heyday of reperfing and regumming was the 70s. And it was because the market was going up at right. such a great rate. That's when all this stamp doctoring happened. So if people say, well, you know, my father bought this stamp in the 1980s. How could it be regummed? You sit there and go, your father bought that stamp in the 1980s. I would be shocked if it wasn't regummed. <laughs> but the people that, quote, unquote, did it right, that bought their stamps from the post office, um, they hoarded those sheets. And, you know, 20 years later, those sheets are selling for below face value, and sometimes, you know, a lot, lo you know, a lot lower than face value. Well, right now, I think you can buy a lot of postage right. for about half a face. Yeah. So, um, you know, so what, uh, you know, for for novice collectors or or people that are novice to the industry, what what is a red flag for them today? Well, I'll be, I'll give you the really, really obvious, obvious answer. If you're a novice in something, don't invest in it. <laughs> I mean, that's what I tell you. I, I uh, was talking to a, oh, that's a great story. I'll bring it up later. I bought a collection from a guy, and 
he was talking about the exact same thing. You know, how do I invest in stamps? Well, he collects Yu-Gi-Oh cards, which if people don't know, it's a card game. It's a battling card game. And I said, why would you collect stamps when you know so much about the Yu-Gi-Oh card market? Invest in Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Well, because that, that market has no real long-term investment value, but you can certainly go in and play for the short term. Right. You know, my big thing is if you're a novice in something, you probably want to get a lot more information. Well, Bill Gross famously said he researched stamps for, what, three years before he bought his first stamp. He didn't buy a stamp for three years until he knew the market. Well, let's, let's, that's, that's really not true. How he got into it was he, um, he went to a, he went, he lived in the um, Orange County area near the beach and uh, he went to see a, a, a pretty good stamp dealer that I, that I knew for many years named Roland Renshaw to uh, uh, buy some stamps for his grandkids. And that's how he got involved in stamps. But as far as spending real money on it, which is what he eventually did, yes, he did. He did research that. Yeah. But but he, he was originally just um, um, Roland was taking all kinds of stamps on memo to offer it to him uh, for at least three years. Mm. And Bill would buy a certain amount of that stuff. I, I'm sure some of his singles come from that that, that period of time. I wasn't introduced to him, but I, I just heard that Roland had an important customer, but that's who the customer was. Interesting. And, and uh, what, helped, what helped Bill Gross was he met, um, he met Charles and Tracy Shreve, and he was uh, impressed by them. And so uh, that's, why the, for, that's why he used them as basically his agents. And so. Well, I, I can see that people in the 70s when they were looking for a place to park their money not not talking about you know people at the level bill growth but people at the in the middle class mm -hmm. that were just looking for you know they don't they don't have enough money to you know invest in a condominium or in a second home so uh, they thought well gee if i buy stamps from the post office at least they'll be worth face value you know so i won't lose any money um, and in fact, they did. Well, well, they don't lose money as long as they use it for postage. Right. Well, yeah. he, actually, um, if you do an inflation calculator, just pull up an inflation calculator and type in a dollar in 1979 versus a dollar today, you'll find that a dollar in 1979 is worth $3 today modified for inflation. So we've had 300% inflation since then. Um, so let's bring up my, my favorite is the $1 airlift plate block. So four $1 stamps, $4. That's the equivalent today of $12. And they were selling them for $12 to $15, which is the equivalent today of $40 to $50. So you had people regularly dealing in the $40 and $50 area in mass. You know, they'll buy 20 or 10 or 100 of these plate blocks. So that's sort of where we should start looking is the Bethesda Fountain stamp fits right in with 
two airlift plate blocks. And you think, well, you know, who's going to invest in the Bethesda fountain stamp? It's like that's exactly the stamp that people would want to invest in. So getting back to the tulip, uh, and again, it's tulip mania, pull it up, it's a graph. And uh, they break down the bubble into four phases. The first one they call the stealth phase. And I think that's where we're at right now. People see it coming. It's not really talked about a lot, although, you know, it's starting to get talked about. And people can really plan what they're going to do right now without affecting any markets or anything. After that comes the awareness phase. And the awareness phase is when people start saying, oh my goodness, there's inflation. What am I going to do? You know, my, if 12% inflation and my pay went up 2% and my mortgage, you know, I have an adjustable rate mortgage that is now changing. The third phase is the mania phase, and that's when the media attention starts. When you start seeing stamp and coins, and actually you'll see coins before you see stamps. Or you'll see something like comic books, because it'll make the news. As soon as you see the media starting to say, look at all this money that's being made on this collectible, even if it's not stamps, that's when you're going to hit the mania phase. Well, we're hearing that right now with sports cards. And not that much, though. And sports cards have other things going on. Um, then you have the blow-off phase, which is the end of the cycle. And that's where people not just sell, but they oversell. And that oversell is, again, a chance for us actual stamp collectors who have been playing all along, maybe buying and selling, at the end of the blow-off phase, that's where we buy and we replace everything that we sold. Right. You know, we we have a Great Britain number one, and it's worth 60 or 70 bucks because it's a nice one. And we sell it for $200. And in the blow-off phase, then we buy it back for 40 or 30 You know, and this is basically pretty damn close to exactly what happened through the 70s and the early 80s, is if you sold your stamp collection... In 1975, you could buy it back in like 1985 for about 25 to 30% less, and then it'll go back up to where it was. So, for people that are, are that once we pass the stealth phase and we start to get into that reality, people are looking and, and saying, Gosh, I have $1,000 in my savings account. Six months from now, the buying power of that $1,000 is going to be reduced. So what can I spend that $1,000 on where the value will increase? So in the 70s, they went back to buying sheets at the post office. But the difference between the 70s and now is that the stamps that you buy at the post office are forever stamps. I think that's a big difference. Yeah. They increase in value. And in fact, if you buy a sheet of stamps today, the value of those stamps will positively increase on August 29th because the the first class postage rate will raise from 55 cents to 58 cents. Yep. So if people invest in sheets of stamps now, um, 
and this is different from the Bethesda fountain stamp, which has a specific face value. Normal forever stamps don't have a specific face value. They're just sold for the, the price of a first-class postage at that time. So these stamps will be value, have a forever value um, in the future. And something to add to that. All forever stamps are not equal. There are going to be some stamps with certain topics that the public will appreciate more. Let me give you an example of uh, the gold market. China put out uh, 12 coins for the 12 signs of the zodiac. Snakes and rats and uh, lambs and dragons and monkeys. The dragon coin, now all, all these coins are one ounce of gold. So today they're all worth about $1,830 each in gold. Some of them sell for a 5% premium over because uh, coins generally have a premium over a bar of gold because, you know, of the collectability and stuff like that. So some of them have a 5% premium. The dragon coin has a 100% premium. You literally will spend double the value of the gold to get that dragon coin, whereas the rat coin, you'll spend you know maybe a five or 10%. And uh, that is where you need to look for the forever stamps. What forever stamps are going to be like the dragon coin? Right, what's gonna be popular? Yeah. You could speculate that the droid stamps might be popular. Yes. In the future. Um, I know uh, you invested in the imperforate sheets, but you know there's also the perforated sheets as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it's difficult to try and anticipate what might be popular. What about, we, we all know well, that- Hold on, uh, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you. Oh, really? I don't think that it's difficult. Because, again, it's like we talked about two podcasts ago. You're not trying to predict what you think will be cool. You're trying to predict what other people think will be cool. Other people are just as smart as you. So other people are trying to predict what other people will think is cool. So what you have to do is you have to predict what the average predictor will predict. The average predictor will want and I don't think that's difficult. I think that, like you said, the droids, Star Wars base, yeah. Is there a Chinese dragon stamp that's a forever stamp? I don't know if there is or not. Mm. There was a, uh, a set of dragon stamps that were issued a few years ago. Were, but were they forever? Uh, they are forever stamps, but I'm not sure that they're that popular. Um, the Chinese Zodiac sheets, we put out a Zodiac sheet, sheet every year, but I know that they haven't been forever for a while because I know I have a sheet of 29 centers and 32 centers. Oh, yeah. But if they, if they put out a dragon sheet or if there is a dragon sheet of forever stamps, do we have a Scott's catalog? We don't have a Scott's catalog in here? I mean, if we had a set of dragon stamps that's a forever sheet 
I think that's a slam dunk. I think that's an easy thing that the average predictor will predict the average predictor will predict. Hmm. Now, we all, we all know that rare stamps will always be rare, so rare stamps are generally a good investment. But for novice collectors or collectors that are on a budget, um, would a graded stamp in a market like this retain its value uh, post-inflation? Well, here's the thing, and again, this is borne out by the 1970s. You had the collectors bidding up the value of rare stuff. But the increase in value on those was nowhere near as close as it was on the lower stuff. And the reason is, is because one of the things that's required for an investment is you have to be able to tell how much the thing is worth. If you have the, U, the only U.S. number five on first day cover, and it's worth half a million bucks, how do you come up with that half a million dollars? Well, that's what you paid for it. Well, what's the next person going to pay for it? How much is it going to be worth in a while? However, you take something like the $1 airlift plate block, it's really simple. You look up and see what the buy prices are. Buy prices are $15. They're worth 15 bucks. So it'll be more common stuff that people will invest in. Now, getting to grading, and again, you know, we're biased. So I won't talk about grading stamps at all. I'll talk about grading coins. Mm -hmm. A graded coin in grade, uh, graded coins go on a scale of 1 to 70. And it's tradition. So a 70 is the highest grade. So you have a coin, a, a mercury dime that's a grade 65. You can look up on the gray sheet how much it's worth. It's like the Wall Street Journal. You could look up how much your stocks are worth. If you can't look it up, then it's a poor investment. So a grade 65 mercury dime pick a year i don't care what year is a generic thing there are however many there are hundreds maybe a thousand of them of any given year it is an item which can be identified an ungraded mercury dime could have a fluctuation of price because you don't know how much it's worth so graded coins are going to do very, very well in inflation, and they have done well. I mean, it's, you know, graded, grading of coins started in 1985, and it's not some magical thing that it started then. You know, they wanted to standardize the value of coins. Will stamps follow, or baseball cards, or comic books? I predict yes. Um, but again, if you're dealing with forever sheets of droid stamps, they don't need to be certified, but they are standardized. Your sheet is the same as every other sheet. You just have to check to make sure nobody banged up the corners. And unlike the previous stamps from the 70s, as the stamp price goes up, as, as the value of first-class mail goes up, the, the value of the sheet goes up. Well, if you look at it that way, and you can, uh, you're going to make, what, a 6% profit over the next 
what, 35 days? Yeah, a couple, yeah. So over the next 35 days, you will make a 6% profit by buying forever stamps now. And if you're going to buy forever stamps now, you want to look at which ones are going to appreciate for more than just inflation. And I would sit there and say, you know, droid stamps. And if you have, you know, a couple hundred bucks burning a hole in your pocket, or you have a couple hundred Biden bucks left, you know, you can uh, pick up, what, 20 sheets? 18 sheets. I think they're 11 bucks a sheet. So, you know, let's say you pick up 20 sheets of droid stamps. They'll go up 6% because of postage. How much more do they go up because of collector value? Right. Depending on whether or not Disney screws up Star Wars. No, they already did that. <laughs> but that's my opinion, and like I said, I, I don't want to get into politics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have breaking news. While Tropical Storm Elsa was dumping heavy rain on Florida on Wednesday, Texas was dealing with its own flooding crisis. A flash flood emergency was issued for Rockport and Fulton, Texas on Wednesday afternoon after almost a foot of rain fell across the region in a short period of time. The Rockport Aransas County Airport has picked up over 11 inches of rain since Wednesday morning. Corpus Christi International Airport has picked up over half a foot of rain in the same time period. Meanwhile, McAllen International Airport reported over four to six inches of rain Wednesday, which was nearly three times the previous record of 1.57 set back in 2008. So much rain fell that Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued a statement saying disaster resources would be on standby for communities in South Texas and the Coastal Bend region. The severe storms hitting our South Texas and Coastal Bend communities pose a serious threat of flash flooding and river flooding, and I urge Texans in these areas to heed the guidance of local officials and take precautions to protect themselves and their loved ones, said Abbott. The state of Texas has placed several resources on standby to support the local response to this weather, and we are ready to provide additional support as needed to keep Texans safe, the statement said. Yeah, and uh, along with this, there was a picture of a house with a basement, and it was flooded up to the front door and uh bruce who we had lunch with today he shout out to bruce haven't given you a shout out for a while um he said i wonder if they have a stamp collection and i was uh kind of wondering the same thing you know how many stamp collections are going to be destroyed and has have their albert here's a here's a softball over the plate to you has uh, collections been affected by water in the past? A lot, a lot of collections have been affected by water or by fire. Talking about climate change. Oh, climate change. No, we... Um, Greta Thunberg is going to walk up and smack you with her little dead hand. Uh, I, know a lot of, I know a lot of collections in the New, in the New Orleans area that were, uh, that were heavily damaged that they had to pay out on after Katrina. Um, 
I actually, I actually, two years later, bought a lot that uh, had a had a uh, had an X Haas cover in it with a uh, pair of the twelve cent uh, imperforates that the guy had paid like five thousand dollars for it, and it had a block, it had a corner margin block of number twenty five that originally had OG, but there was no OG left. Mm-hmm. It was it was badly stained, but it was running it was running a sale in New York, and I bought the lot. After Hurricane Sandy, there was a very big stamp collector who uh, was on, obviously, the East Coast. And afterwards, his collection was eh, destroyed. And somebody had gone in and bought it and then regummed all his stamps. And so uh, we happened here at PSE, we happened to know who had done it. And uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, you know who you are. And uh, none of your stamps are getting certified. (laughs) So, you know, that's something to be aware of, that this did occur. And uh, Hurricane Sandy, you know, was a biggie because a well-known stamp collector lost his collection in it. No, it's the equivalent of uh, it's the equivalent of automobiles that get flooded over and get uh, salvage titles, and then they get and then people clean them up and try to sell them as if they have have a regular title. Yep, same idea. Yep. So, can you put an album in, say, a uh, Ziploc freezer bag, and would that protect it? Yeah, if but, it's underwater. Yeah, but it's unrealistic to do that. Yeah. You know, because people don't keep their stamp albums in. Ziploc freezer bags. Right. Well, if you were going to store it in your basement. Well, see, that's the thing. This guy had a basement. Uh-huh. So if you had a basement, there is no, I'll bet you probably even if you had them in Ziploc storage bags, you would still have some problems because of the humidity in the air inside of the bags even. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about famous stamp dealers, um, Erwin Weinberg, one year in his, in he owned Minor Stamp Company in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. They had a flood one year where, where they just had too much snow. He actually had to go down to the vaults and take stuff out before they got flooded out. Yeah. He, he made a very uh, – he talked about it at Arapex one year, and he said, well, I had to go down and at uh, – I guess it was some ridiculous hour, I'm going to say, like – I mean, it, was 11, it was 11 at night or 1 in the morning, and he had to, he had to open up the safety deposit boxes and pull out anything that, that was valuable and then, uh, and then remove it yep. because his banks got inundated. So even a safety deposit box is no guarantee for it being waterproof. Well, especially with this much water dropping in Texas. And, I mean, even here in Vegas, we had a huge – we had a deluge – that uh, I don't know how many people have, out there have heard of the uh, 17-hour flight from uh, Nevada, from Las Vegas to California. Uh, it was a I forget, I forget what um, airline it was. I think Allegiant. Allegiant. Mm-hmm. And uh, they left Las Vegas airport, heading to Stockton, and they got to Stockton like after 10 o'clock, and Stockton Airport closes at 10 o'clock and so you know they were circling and they're saying hey can we land and nobody is answering <laughs> and i'm sitting here going well you know this is like scheduled flights they shouldn't somebody have said hey we got one more airplane coming in and you know i'll, I'll rack up a little uh, overtime here <laughs> 
So anyway, the uh, plane flew around and said, we can't land. There's nobody to let us land. And so they flew back to uh, Las Vegas. And we had, like, it, we have monsoons here in Nevada. It sounds weird, but we have monsoons, and we're in monsoon season. And it was pouring. And at my house, and I'm sure Mark and everybody here, you know, heard the rain and the thunder and the lightning and everything. And uh, they couldn't land here. They, there, was zero there was zero visibility at the airport. So then they circled around and said, well, where the hell are we going to go? We have 135 people here. And, you know, we, we, we uh, don't have unlimited fuel. So they flew to LAX. And I guess there's a rule where you're not allowed to disembark and go places and then get back on the airplane. So they took these 135 people and they put them in like a big room and said, okay, you're here until the morning. And then in the morning they flew them up and it took them 17 hours to go where you could have driven in about seven hours. And uh, from a standpoint of water, I'm sure that actually I didn't. I'm sure there wasn't, but there could have very easily been some flooding somewhere in Nevada, in southern Nevada here, because there was a lot of rain dropping. The National Weather Service did do have flash flood warnings on the television several times. Oh yeah, and and on the t uh, cell phones, I got a, several of them on my cell phone. It's 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 very frightening. I've 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 been several times in the desert, exploring these old um, mining towns. And then they have they have, they put out a flash flood warning, so you go to high ground, and then you see the water come down, um, <laughs> 15 or 20 minutes later, and it's not it's not a small amount of water. It is a deluge of water, and if you were there, they would carry your car and yourself down down an embankment, and um, it so would be you, unhappy. Yeah, you have to pay attention to that. Yep. Back to the basements. I actually grew up in Virginia in a house that had a basement. And it flooded almost every time it rained. It didn't have to be a lot of rain. And there's no way I would have wanted to keep stamp albums down there. We kept them in the attic, but basement, no. Yep. Well, also, Mark has something. Uh, there's a new policy from eBay, which uh, if this is true, I'm going to be rather, I'm going to have to change the way I do things. All right. I, I was talking to... Uh, uh, eBay, I have a concierge service because of my seller status, and I was talking to one of the eBay representatives on the phone, and they were saying that there is a new policy coming up where uh, if a buyer files a dispute and eBay is called in to settle the dispute and settles in the buyer's favor, the seller will be charged 20 bucks, regardless of the amount of, of, the, of the transaction. And it was explained that the reason is because if eBay has to spend time uh, on the dispute, they want to be reimbursed for the time that they spend on it. I understand, but uh, you know, I sell a three-dollar item that is slow in the mail. You know, I, I ship it to Australia, and the person in Australia doesn't get it for a week, and they file with eBay, because one thing that, you know, we were t discussing is it isn't like you call eBay up and say, hey, I've got a problem here. Can you address this? There's literally a button and you go, oh, this is the button I hit when I have a problem. OK, hit the button, 
Okay, now I communicate with the person. Okay, hey, uh, my stamp hasn't shown up yet. Enter. Well, that files with eBay. Yeah, that starts a dispute. That started the dispute. The guy was just like asking, you know, where's my stamp? You know, it's, I know mail is slow. Where's my stamp? And uh, so me and Mark were talking and it's like we almost are in a position now where we have to refund everything as soon as the dispute comes up. Right, because if you sell a stamp for ten dollars, and they and they file the dispute and say I haven't gotten my stamp, normally I would just write back and say, well, I have some patience because the postal service is having you know problems with delays. Well, if if when uh, when they get the when they open up their my eBay, you know it'll come up and it'll say you know have you received the stamp yet or not? You know it's past the past the eBay's estimate for delivery, and if you say no then that automatically starts up the process for eBay to step in. Yeah. And so because it costs you 20 bucks. Right. Because I've had people, I, I've, I've written to people and say, you know, there may be delay with the postal service, but, you know, they rarely lose anything. And they write back and say, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll wait. But then the next day or a day after, they'll, they, uh, I get a notification that eBay has been called to step in. Well, we, I mean, we, I was talking about one that just happened recently. You know, I've, a person said, I haven't received the stamp yet. And I go, you know, mail is slow. It'll be there. I guaranteed shipped it and everything. Here's the address. And they go, okay, fine. And then like two days later, eBay refunds them. And then that day that it's refunded, the guy writes back and says, eBay just refunded me and I got the stamp today. And, you know, it's like no harm, no foul. You can send me, you know, your payment. Thank you very much for being honest. But now it's no harm, no foul. Oh, wait, I just had to pay 20 bucks to eBay. Right. Um, and I, like I've mentioned before, eBay now has a, has a um, policy or, or introduced a new feature where if the stamp sells for less than $20, you can use eBay uh, mailing to, uh, to attach um, tracking to the envelope. And it's a special deal they have with the Postal Service. So uh, that actually happened where I sent a stamp. Uh, it, they, I think they paid eight ninety nine for the stamp. I generated the uh, mailing through eBay, so it it was sent by a first class letter with tracking. Um, the person uh, went and wrote me back and said, or, or started to dispute because he hadn't received the stamp in the time frame that it was expected, and so. And in that case, I, I wrote back and I said, you know, yeah, you, you have the tracking number. You know, here it is again. And we'll just have to wait it out because, you know, there, there are delays. Well, the next day, he, uh, he, he clicked the button and eBay stepped in, found for the buyer, refunded his money. But when I went back to look at the tracking, <laughs> eBay stopped the ability to track the stamp. So there's no way to determine if the buyer received the stamp because eBay cut it off. They can't do that with postal service, but they can do that with their tracking for $20 and less. Yeah. What, what good so, is that tracking if you can just cut it off unilaterally? Right. Well, I, I guess the idea is that if they allow the tracking to continue and then you as the seller can say, hey, eBay, you refunded this guy's money and he got the stamp – you can go to eBay and say, "I want, you know, I want my money back." I think they, 
they don't want that kind of situation. So they disabled the tracking. So that's you, my that's my so are you supposition. Gonna, you're going to send. You're going to continue to send through their system. Well, the uh, I think what um, once this takes hold and people start to get charged, uh, I think what is going to happen is that sellers are now going to send every stamp with tracking, regardless of the value, and they may not e they may not use eBay's tracking. They may use postal service tracking, which can't be uh, messed with by eBay. So that means that um, it's going to be a minimum of $4.10, um, maybe higher after, after August 29th, to send a stamp because you've got to have, yeah. have tracking. So I charge $1 in the United States, $2 outside of the United States. Now everybody's going to be paying 5 bucks, and my average sale price is $11. That's going to kill my business. Unless, unless buyers... Um, it, it, if it if it becomes universal and buyers see, well, you know, I, I'm not going to pay you know ten dollars for a stamp and five dollars for shipping. Maybe buyers will say, okay, I'll I'll pay, you know, I'll buy you know three stamps, you know, or five stamps. And no, and the seller that's not what they do though. Right. And yeah. the second thing is, I have to have three stamps that they want. Right. You know, if I list ten stamps from Mongolia and they say, oh, I need this one. They're not going to say, oh, I'll buy the other two just because. Right. Uh, the tough part is, realistically, basically, if there's a dispute, I'm just going to have to refund. Right. And then they're going to say, oh, I got the item, and I'll say, thank you very much. Please send payment. And there will be a whole bunch of payments after the fact. And hopefully, people will realize that, you know, this is a problem. And eBay will not charge 20 bucks because that's punitive. Right. Yeah. Typically, uh, something like that, when there's, when it an, an appears to be a punitive charge, they're trying to get sellers to do something. And I asked specifically, what is, what is it that you are trying to get sellers to do, you know, for that $20? And her response was, well, it's not a punitive charge. It's merely to reimburse eBay for the time that they're spending. Yeah, which is BS because let's say a person gets, let's say you in, pay them insane. You're, you're paying them $50 an hour with benefits. Do they spend 15, 20 minutes on each one? No, they spend maybe a couple seconds on each one. Right. But, um, but maybe that's enough because we know the disputes, the, the dispute, um, process is all automated except when ebay has to step in well but the other thing too is realistically here's what's going to happen like for somebody like me if i have to pay 20 bucks it's going to increase my fees because i'm not going to pay the 20 bucks i'm just going to be refunding people it's easier for me to refund and then get paid later so now i have additional costs so I'm going to raise my prices. So all it is is my prices go up because I have to raise my prices for the things that are getting refunded. The buyers are going to be paying more money because of this. And, you know, I'm going to be paying more money too. It's going to be shared. But both me and the buyers are going to be paying more money because eBay is charging a punitive amount, which has to be avoided. 
So you're gonna you're gonna automatically when somebody complains you're gonna refund them and then ask to be paid once they receive it. Unfortunately, I don't see any other choice. I mean, like I said, my average sale is like eleven bucks. My average sale is eleven dollars. So if I refund them, I lose eleven dollars. Right. If I don't refund them, I lose twenty plus the eleven. Mm-hmm. So I lose thirty one dollars. It, it's sort of like I used to live in Long Beach, and uh, there was a trash pickup day, and we never really worried about it because it was like thirty-five bucks for a ticket, and you got a ticket like maybe once a month, you know, because you just missed it, you forgot or whatever. Well, then they raised the penalty from thirty-five dollars, which they were getting one, maybe two payments a month from me and my neighbors and everybody. They raised it from $35 to $60. At $60, no one got tickets. Everybody made sure they were off the street. The city of Long Beach did it to make more money. They, didn't, they really don't care if you know there's a car parked on the street and, and that little 10-foot section of the street doesn't get swept. I mean, who cares? But what they did was they raised the prices and, it, and people changed the way they operate. And uh, one of my favorites is uh, I used to deal in real estate. And uh, in Los Angeles, we were at a city council meeting for an unrelated thing. And the uh, Port of Long Beach, or excuse me, the Port of Los Angeles, they raised their fuel tax because they were getting about $2.5 million, and they wanted to get $4 million. So they raised their fuel tax by 25%, and so that they would get $4 million. Instead of getting $2.5 million, they ended up getting just shy of half a million dollars because they raised their fee. And the reason I remember it is they had this ship captain who was a freighter uh, captain. And he said, on a tank of gas, I go from Singapore to Los Angeles to Singapore to Los Angeles back to Singapore. I can buy my gas anywhere in the world, literally. Why would I buy it here and pay the gas tax? And it was exactly the same thing. They raised their price by a little bit, and they totally destroyed their market. Um, For eBay... It's sort of the same thing. They're imposing additional costs. They're raising their price. And we just have to change the way. We have to fuel up. We can fuel up anywhere in the world. You know, this could well be a time when uh, I start going more over to hip stamp. This, to me, is a biggie. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps so. I mean, uh, um, it. you might be able to... Think of ways like, for example, you can maybe put in your listing, you know, contact me first before filing a dispute with eBay. But eBay doesn't like it when you... Well, you can't put your email address in it. Yeah, you can't put your email address in um, and you can't... um, And 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 you're not allowed to discuss eBay policy in your listings, too. That could get you into trouble. So... um, um, You know, so yeah, it's something that we're just going to have to bear... It's going and, to raise and, costs. Yeah, and, and, and we, we're going to have to pass them on to the buyers. Right. 
We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this still clown was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! (laughs) You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Collecting happens when we dream together.